By May 1463, Edward IV still did not have full control of his kingdom. The past year or two had followed a pattern of apparent Yorkist success, followed by rather unlikely Lancastrian revival. Clearly, Edward dared not let this cycle continue. Aside from the expense and effort it required, such a situation caused uncertainty in the north and alarm everywhere else. In theory, Warwick was responsible for the security of the north, but like his king, he preferred to live in the south. Someone, however, who seemed quite happy in the north was Warwick's brother John, Lord Montague. His general hostility towards anything associated with the name Percy was ample motivation for him to act firmly against them. So Edward decided to appoint him as Warden of the East March, which was where the trouble mostly was. Although the Lancastrians still held the three coastal castles, they would need to move on other important centres if they were to extend their control in Northumberland. Chief amongst these was the key port of Newcastle. But although an attack on the city was attempted, the local folk were having none of it and repulsed it. Meanwhile, Warwick set off north again in early June, and when he arrived in Northumberland, he must have been horrified to see that the situation was even worse than he expected. Early in July, the Scottish king, James III, still a boy, led an army into England. With him came the whole pack of cards, Henry VI, Queen Margaret, oh, and his mum, the widowed Scottish queen, Mary of Gelders. Their aim was to besiege the English border castle of Norham with a large army supported by cannon. On the face of it, this seemed a genuine threat, and when the Devil brothers, Warwick and Montague, set out to relieve the siege, they expected to be harried on their way by men from the Lancastrian castles on the coast. In fact, they reached Norham unopposed, and the Scottish army, taken by surprise, disintegrated and fled. The Devils then pursued the Scots across the border, laying waste a swathe of territory. It was an unmitigated disaster for Scotland, and it spelt the end of any more Scottish support for Henry VI. So, though the three northern castles were still in Lancastrian hands, Henry's cause was at its lowest point, with few resources and no Scottish support. Queen Margaret departed by sea with her son and de Breze to seek help elsewhere, whilst Henry remained in Scotland. Margaret was destined never to see her husband again. Edward IV appeared to be going on to the offensive against the Scots and sought grants of cash from Parliament in August 1463 to launch a new attack. But though he moved men and artillery north and spent months there himself, no attack was made, and in January 1464 Edward returned to London. There was some annoyance that the king, having been given funds to finance his campaign, had in fact apparently done nothing. Edward had used the money in other ways, for example, paying the vital Calais garrison's wages. 
Why did Edward appear to change his mind? Well, he didn't, really. The threat of military action was there, but he decided that negotiation was a better policy than war. In this, he was helped by a serious change of mind on the part of another monarch, Louis XI. The latter was a tricky individual at the best of times, and it would have been unwise to trust him too much. But on this occasion, Louis's interests aligned with Edward's. Without going into the fine detail of French policy, the upshot was that Louis wanted good relations with both England and neighbouring Burgundy, whose duke was already well disposed towards Edward. So Louis rejected the entreaties of Queen Margaret, as did the Duke of Burgundy, and instead the three countries held peace talks, which by October 1463 led to an agreement not to support each other's enemies. Which is one reason why Edward did not attack Scotland, because it had close ties to France. In fact, in this new spirit of congeniality, Edward negotiated a truce with the Scots too in December 1463. The Scots agreed not to help Henry VI and sent him out of Scotland to Bamburgh, where he was much more vulnerable. It was agreed that further negotiations for a more permanent peace would be held in March 1464. So that's the end of it then. The crisis was over and it was only a matter of time before the castles surrendered. Uh, no. Because just when complete victory appeared to be within the Yorkist king's grasp, one of his earlier decisions blew up in his face. Henry Beaufort, Duke of Somerset, after a year or more in close companionship with his new king, did a runner. Remembering how vitriolic the relationship had been between their fathers, it was incredible that Edward had even attempted a rapprochement with Somerset. He made every possible effort to keep Somerset on side, bestowing much personal trust in him. But there was inevitably much hostility towards the Duke from other, less forgiving Yorkists, and Edward had a hard job even keeping Somerset alive. So to protect the Duke, he sent him to North Wales. But around Christmas 1463, Somerset escaped and headed north. Where else? Apparently, he intended to turn the Newcastle garrison, capture the town and declare for Lancaster. I doubt we could ever be sure why Somerset decided to betray Edward and return to Lancastrian fold. Perhaps he just regretted his decision to surrender in the first place, though he might perhaps have chosen a better time to turn up to help. It has been suggested that the timing owed much to riots and unrest against the new king's taxes. Yet many of these took place after Somerset had escaped. Indeed, his escape might have stirred up the unrest a bit more. At first, Edward left his able lieutenants to deal with the troubles. But at the end of March 1464, he decided to go north once more to crush any risings orchestrated by Somerset who had somehow evaded capture and arrived at Bamburgh. Let's not forget that the three major coastal castles were still in Lancastrian hands, and another rather disturbing development had occurred. The Cliffords, remember them, 
had retaken their old castle at Skipton in Yorkshire. This was an isolated event, but more worrying was that Somerset and Ralph Percy now moved out of their strongholds to attack and capture a number of places inland, including Norham, Hexham and Bywell. The next stop would be Newcastle. Another result of these Lancastrian successes was to threaten the Scottish peace talks which were to take place in Newcastle. Delayed already from March to April, Edward was desperate to make sure they took place. Moving the venue to York, he sent Lord Montague to escort the Scottish envoys from the border. Montague only narrowly made it to Newcastle, where he gained reinforcements and pushed on north, beyond Annick, into the area where the Lancastrians had more control. On the 25th of April, he found himself under attack from the main Lancastrian force under Somerset, Percy and several other recalcitrant Lancastrian lords. We know almost nothing about this battle, except that it was fought at Hedgley Moor, west of Annick. Oh, and the Lancastrians lost. How or why is a matter for conjecture based on only very limited scraps of evidence. One suggestion is that several of the other lords did not share the enthusiasm of Somerset and Percy for the fight. During the battle, Ralph Percy was killed, along with most of his retinue. I doubt that John Neville was over keen to spare any Percy folk. With the king gradually amassing a large royal army at Leicester, and the Scottish envoys safely in York, Somerset and the remaining Lancastrians were in the last chance saloon, though in fact they have been ensconced in that saloon for the past ten minutes. Having reformed his army, Somerset gambled all on a quick strike. He moved south to Hexham, hoping to surprise Lord Montague. By moving Henry VI from Bamborough closer to Bywell, they perhaps hoped that his presence would rally support. If they did, they were delusional, and Montague was too intelligent a commander to be taken unawares by Somerset's ramshackle army. On the 15th of May, it was Lord Montague who sprang the surprise, annihilating the Lancastrians near Hexham, and zealously tracking down the fleeing lords. Somerset and his allies, Lords Hungerford and Roos, were taken and summarily executed. Another 30 or so rebel leaders were similarly treated. John Neville did not mess about, none of this pardoning lark. His men also stumbled upon a Lancastrian who was carrying £2,000 of Henry's remaining war chest, and they divided it up between them, quite a windfall for them. Henry VI himself managed to escape capture for some time hiding in private houses for the next year or so. The three fortresses of Northumberland, where we began this part of the story, were soon faced by the Earl of Warwick with a large army and three enormous cannons. Dunstanborough and Annick surrendered pretty much at once in June. Another diehard, Sir Ralph Grey, held out at Bamborough, knowing there would be no pardon for him. For the first time, the cannons were actually used, and Bamborough was severely damaged. In the end, with Grey wounded, his comrades sued for peace, 
and Bamborough was taken. Grey was condemned by the king in person and executed at Doncaster. The final fall of Bamborough marks the end of the crisis in the north at the point at which Edward might have regarded himself as true master of his kingdom. In addition, a 15-year peace was agreed with the Scots. Lord Montague was rewarded for his efforts with the great prize of the Earldom of Northumberland, traditionally held by his arch-enemies, the Percys. How sweet that must have been for him. Everyone else went home, and there's something which is often ignored. The soldiers raised from most of South and Midland England had traipsed north to meet the last Lancastrian threat. Having taken part in virtually no fighting, they then traipsed back south again. I'm sure there's at least one novel in what those thousands of men got up to on their journey home. Meanwhile, Queen Margaret took her son Edward to her father's house in Anjou, while in July 1465 her husband Henry was eventually captured and put into the Tower of London. A few years later, even the Welsh fortress of Harlech was finally taken. So, King Edward had won the war. Now all he had to do, as they say, was win the peace. <laughs>